MindView has just become our latest addition as a partner with Coaching You. MindView is an amazing, amazing company that literally is just releasing a platform. They have developed an incredible assessment that we have just totally, totally been blown away with. Because on this assessment, that you can take in a matter of 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes on your phone, the things that you've never been able to measure before, like resilience, grit, hope, adaptability, all these things, they are able to measure them as to how you're thinking and feeling right now. This is a game changer as far as I'm concerned. I'm a strength finder guy. I love all that. But MindView is the latest technology. It is just literally coming on the market right now. The platform that they've created is second to none. The emphasis right now on your player's mental wellness is unprecedented. I'm sold on MindView. Now it's your turn. For more information about MindView, M-I-N-D-V-U-E, please contact the COO, Cleet McQuinn. His email is cmcquinn at mindview.com or visit their website at mindview.com. I think you're really going to enjoy today's guest. J.B. Bickerstaff is the head coach of the Cleveland Cavs. He has three times taken over from an assistant coaching position to an interim coach. And, and boy, in the NBA, I have not in 40-plus years seen that happen. Uh, and every time he's done a terrific job. And it's the hardest thing to do is to take over. And, you know, when we're talking about, you know, taking over for really good coaches, whether it be Kevin McHale in Houston or, or David Fisdale in Memphis, is a, you know, was a first-time head coach uh, who was highly, highly sought after, or the great Hall of Famer John Beeline in Cleveland this year. So it's a hard thing. He's going to explain the steps that, you know, you have to. What also are things that you should do if you want to be an assistant in the NBA? I think he really did a good job. And he's going to tell us what has been like for his team because he didn't get to go to the bubble. So after this timeout, we're going to be back with J.B. Bickerstaff. Prepare like the pros with the new Fast Draw. Fast Draw is the number one affordable coaching tool used by pro and high school level teams worldwide. With Fast Draw, you can save your plays and playbooks digitally, attach video and share with other coaches and your players in seconds. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching content resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 8,000 free plays and drills from their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Don't forget to use promo code CU10, that is CU10, to receive 10% off your next Fast Model purchase. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program 
to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that in to Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and I'm so excited today to have J.B. Bickerstaff, the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, as our guest. J.B., welcome. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm happy to be here. J.B., uh, if we did this a year ago, you'd be associate head coach. Uh, this had to be an amazing year for you, uh, coming in with a, a legendary Hall of Fame coach and John Beeline, uh, trying to learn the pro game. Uh, and you having been a great assistant and a head coach in the league. How was that uh, for you? Uh, it was great. You know, it, it was awesome. Uh, coach B and my relationship was really good. Uh, was really strong. You know, I think we uh, we helped one another. Uh, we complimented one another. You know, I learned a ton from him. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, basketball is a very, it can be played you know, a bunch of different ways, but at the end of the day, it's a very simple game. Mm-hmm. But it's awesome to listen to and learn from other people who have been highly successful uh, in what they do. Uh, and, you know, Coach B obviously has been highly successful um, in, in, uh, in, in basketball and his knowledge is immense. So it was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, you know, it, it had its ups and downs um, with the wins and the losses and things like that. But uh, I thought we worked well together. Um, I had a good partnership. You have an amazing young executive there in Kobe Altman. Uh, talk a little bit about Kobe. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a tireless worker. Uh, he only cares about what's best for the organization, uh, the team, our fan base. Um, and he will do whatever it takes to get the job done. Um, you know, he, he's an awesome dude. He's fun to be around. He's passionate about what, you know, he's doing here. You know, he believes heavily in, in what he's doing here and what we're doing here. Um, you know, I, I can't say enough about, you know, what he does and, you know, and watching him lead, I think has been, uh, even more powerful and, you know, taking on a larger role than just being the general manager, but watching him lead during these times of, you know, the social justice movements, uh, the conversations that he and I have about those and what he's done in the community. Um, you know, like I said, it's, it's been awesome, to, awesome to work with him and it's awesome to watch him work. You know, so you have had the amazing thing of having an incredible dad that, uh, you know, I've known since the first the year that, you know, I got in the league in 79. Don't, and don't tell me that's when you were born. JB. That was, that was the year I, I was born. Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate that. <laughs> so we've been, your dad and I have been friends since then. And, uh, he, he's just an incredible coach and executive in this league. And now, of course, you know, you're working with him a little bit with the Cavs. And so, but, uh, you know, I've, he's a, a gentleman that I always respected. We always got along great uh, and, you know, and was a hell of a coach and, and, and man, obviously, but really, really a good coach. What was it like growing up in Denver, you know, with him, you know, as, you know, as your dad, you know, and, you know, as a pretty famous guy? Uh, it, I mean, it was, 
it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of things that we considered to be normal yeah. that other people just didn't, you know, didn't consider normal. You know what I mean? Like I remember uh, having conversations where, you know, we would be with players and, you know, collecting base basketball cards or whatever it may be and getting autographs. And, you know, like that was just Saturday for us. You know what I mean? Like we were just going to practice with my dad. Uh, we'd take one of our friends and their minds would be blown that, you know, we actually got to talk to, uh, Dikembe Mutombo or in Seattle, Dale Ellis and Xavier McDaniel or, you know, Jalen Rose, like go, go on and on and down the list of guys. But like things that we just thought were normal days, um, you know, you didn't realize, uh, how, you know, how rare they were. Like I, I'll never forget, um, one of the conversations we were having with Reggie. Remember Reggie Williams, his son, uh, was a young, was younger than I am, but he, you know, asked another kid that we were with, uh, yeah, what channel does your daddy come on? <laughs> and it was just like, you know, at the time he was probably like five years old, but it was just like, you know, your everybody's dad comes on TV. So, you know, it, it was extraordinary. Yeah. Um, but it it was awesome, man. Like we had some great experiences. We get to meet some great people. Um, you know, and, and my thing is I, I got, you know, I've been extremely fortunate, um, because my, my dad is, and I don't say this just because he's my dad, but he's an awesome man. Um, yes, he is. you know, he's a really good person. And that's the thing that I, I learned and, you know, just watching him is like, he treated everybody the same. Um, he gave everybody the respect, the courtesy that they deserved. Uh, and you know, that influenced me more than, than anything is just the way I watched him interact with other people. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. He is an awesome man. Uh, and I was so pleased about two years ago, I think he got one of the greatest awards we give to our, uh, fabulous coaches that are in this league, the Chuck Daly Achievement Award, you know, uh, you know, which, you know, I think, you know, is so well-deserved because, um, you know, uh, that was a great time. It was a great era for coaching in this league, you know, and the guys that, you know, he worked with, you know, whether it be Casey Jones and others, you know, just amazing coaches. And uh, not, to, not to play the old-time game, but it's a different era of basketball and different style of ball. And, boy, those – those and, you know, number teams, the money was really different. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he's pissed off. That, happy but pissed off at how many years he worked and what you make <laughs> – to him, I, I bet that comes up and probably ask him for a loan, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. believe me, he, he talks a lot of trash too. He yeah. might be a nice man, but he uh, does talk a lot of trash. So, yeah. I've heard it all. Oh, yeah. So, tell me, uh, as you're coming up, you've been on NBA a long time now, you got a great start in the league. Um, you, you started with in Charlotte. Did you start was your dad there then? Is, is that the point when you when you started in Charlotte? Yeah. So yeah. I was for, for one year, I was a director of basketball operations at the university of Minnesota. Right. Uh, a job came open with the Timberwolves to do color on their radio. And I had had some experience, uh, with radio, uh, you know, while I was in school. Uh, so they asked me to come and interview. I took the job. I got the job there. Wow. And that was an awesome year. That was the year that the Timberwolves went to the Western conference finals with oh, KGs, wow. Freewell and Sam Cassell. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I did that for a year. And during that year, my dad got named general manager and head coach of the Charlotte Bobcats. But that was that expansion year. So huh. they were just working to put the team together. Uh, so the following year, my dad brought me in as an assistant coach, uh, you know, with with the Bobcats. Um, and, you know, the rest is, is history. We were there you know, I was there for three years. Um, you know, we brought that le that team into the league, obviously, with 
you know, the expansion situation. And, you know, it was fun to watch uh, and be a part of it uh, and, and help build an organization from the ground up, basically. It is a, it's a great experience and, uh, and a great city to live in, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we had a great time in Charlotte. <laughs> and, and then you went back to Minnesota? Yep, from Charlotte, was in Minnesota. Uh, Randy Whitman got the job in Minnesota. Uh, and, you know, I had a past relationship with him. Um, and so he brought me on board. Uh, and I was with uh, Witt. And then Kevin McHale took over for Randy Whitman. I stayed with him. Uh, then Kurt Rambis came uh, after Kevin. Uh, and Kurt hired me there. Um, so I stayed there. I was there a total of five years, I believe. Wow. Um, yeah, and then... Kevin got the job in Houston and he brought me with him to Houston. Um, and you know, that was five years there in Houston. So we had some, you know, really, really good teams and a lot of fun together as a staff. No, he, that was a, that was a great hire. I thought, uh, was that Daryl? Was Daryl there then? Yeah, Daryl. Yep, yeah, that was Daryl. And yep. so great hire by Daryl Morey to bring Kevin in. And, uh, you know, and I think really, um, you know, and that was a great team. I really enjoyed your team. And uh, yeah, Chandler Parsons was there when you were there, I remember. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. No, we had, we had some really good teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, made a run to the Western Conference Finals one year. Uh, you know, like everybody else in the West in that time, we just happened to run into Golden State. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we, we battled, we competed. Um, so we, we had some great experiences, you know, worked with some great players, uh, coached, you know, some of the best players in the game. Uh, so it, it was it was a fun experience, uh, and you know, like I said, working with Kevin uh, was awesome. Um, you know, he's could, couldn't be a better dude uh, to work with to play for. Um, so we had we had a lot of fun. Okay, so now we're gonna you know fast forward. So you went from there, you went to Memphis, uh, and then you worked for Fizz there, David Fizzdale. Yes, okay. Uh-huh. Who's an absolutely spectacular human being? Uh, one yes. of one of my favorites and stuff. And then after two years there, I believe, is it two or was it three? Uh, three, three total. total yeah. right? Three total. Yeah. And then we went to Cleveland. But the yeah. distinction that you have that I, I was trying to think about this for a couple of days since we've been planning this. I do not know, in my recollection, anyone that has ever been an assistant that became the interim or full-time coach, which you've done on the, twice, uh, mm-hmm. but a total of three times, uh, in the league. Does your dad know of anyone? I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I, I can't. Re- I mean, I don't, not yeah, for more I, than I like five games. Either, yeah. Like you know, I think for. Right. Co- I think I I was interim for the three games at the end of the year when UB Brown got fired. You know, uh. you know, but that that was it. Like couldn't wait three yeah. games to let him go. You know, but uh, right. So tell me, I think it's one of the hardest things having been an assistant in this league for so long. How. how how is that to take over a team always, of course, in the middle of the year of some sort uh, or early in the year? Uh, you know, how is it to take over a team? Uh, to be honest with you, it is extremely difficult. Yeah. Uh, and, and I say that, you know, not to make excuses, but if you think about it, you know, things aren't going the way they've been planned if this has to happen. Correct. Right. So. In the middle of the season, I mean, you know it nowadays, it's really, really different. Like there's not a ton of practice time with the right. travel and all those things. So, you know, being put in position to try to, you know, right the ship, so to speak, without a ton of practice time, like the games become your practice. Um, but what you're dealing with is, you know, while you're learning new things, obviously you're not going to be as good at those new things, uh, you know, immediately. So, 
you may have some steps backwards, but then you're trying to figure out how to keep guys engaged so that, you know, they still believe in it and want to try to keep doing the right thing so that they can improve. Uh, but while they might not be seeing the results of wins right away. Uh, so, you know, it, it is complex. It's, you know, your relationship with guys change uh, <laughs> as a, you know, assistant coach, you know, you've got three or four guys that you're, you know, dedicated to. And then as the head coach, all of a sudden, you know, you have to shift your attention from just those three or four guys who are so used to you being there for them. But now you've got to figure out how to manage 15 guys. So uh, it is it is difficult. Um, but, you know, obviously it's each time that it happens, as you know, crazy as it sounds that it's happened three times, uh, you know, it got easier because, you know, you learn how to cut the fat and figure out what's really important and what you really need to focus on. So twice, you know, Kevin McHale, I, you know, obviously he's a legend in our league, you know, as a player and as an executive, in my opinion. And, 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 uh, you know, and I never thought of Kevin when he went immediately from playing, he went immediately to the T-Wolves. And I, you know, and I think he just said, like, like my other friend, Joe Dumars, he said, I'm never going to be a coach. I ain't coaching. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going there. And and then he came out of that seat to take Randy's spot. But, but I never looked at Kevin as a coach. But then when he went down to Houston, I said, man, this guy's really enjoying this. This is interesting. What were Kevin's best attributes as a coach? Uh, I mean, strength. Um, you know what I mean? Like he, you know, was not afraid to coach people. Mm -hmm. Um, he did not back down from challenges. Uh, he was, I mean, he is a competitive son of a gun, uh, to say the least. But the other thing that I think is, you know, that's awesome about Kevin is like, he has a huge heart and he really wants to see people be successful. You know, like his whole mentality with a player is, you know, how do I make you the best that you can possibly be? Uh, because that's what my goal is for you. And I think, you know, going into it that way, um, you know, guys, you know, I would see guys, they would feel like seven feet and bulletproof when Mac was done talking to them. Uh, and you would see them play with a confidence uh, and, you know, their development would happen much more quickly because they did feel that he instilled that confidence in them and that he believed in them. So uh, he, he was, you know, the way that he could talk to guys uh, and, and, you know, interact with the guys and, and teach, um, you know, was just a dynamic. Like, you know, you talk about his skill set and his footwork and, you know, all those things. And it wasn't just inside. You know what I mean? Like his footwork worked, you know, at six feet and it worked at 22 feet. Um, but he had the ability to show and the ability to teach uh, guys as well. You know, one of the things that I think when the hardest thing to do is move those 18 inches over as we say right to you know and now what do you, what do you do in a situation like that now that you've had it three times regarding staff because they have to move too because every right. time you've been the top guy that the guy that the head coach has been leaning on now all of a sudden you have to designate change people's roles so to speak how, right. how do you do that in the middle of a season uh you know the 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 good thing about it is like we try to diversify what we do at the beginning of the season so that, you know, more people are doing more things, right? So more people are doing scouts, more people are working with players. So not just one person has, you know, a lot, uh, you know, obviously some have larger than other responsibilities, but you know, it's, it's, it's uh, delegated throughout the group. Um, but what you have to do is now somebody else has to pick up the things that you were doing. So now as you move over, 
with your staff, you say, hey, well, you're going to take this piece of what I'm doing. You take this piece. You take this piece. You know, you take that piece because, you know, they already have a lot of work to do. And you don't want to just say one person, you have to take on what you're doing and what I was doing. So you try to split it up uh, amongst the rest of the staff. And then to be honest with you, you try to simplify as much as you possibly can. Um, you know, in the middle of the season, you know, you're not going to reinvent the wheel. Right. So what what can you focus on to simplify for the players and for your staff as well? That's that's an incredible point. Uh, and the no practice thing now, it's become, it's become so rare that you get <laughs> – you know, out of 30 days in a month, <laughs> you might get, right. what, three or four practices. Uh, but we had, uh, when Billy Donovan came uh, to Orlando this year to play the Magic, I, I went down and visited him, and uh, he was on a stretch from late December to the end of January, and he said, zero practices. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and he had the most games in a league during that stretch. And and he just and you know here's a college coach that you know I used to you know work with him up there at Florida in Gainesville and this guy you know like most college coaches they love practice you know and they, right. they, they, you know, they think it's they think that's the game and you know and he was one of those two to three hour three and a half hour guys and and so all of a sudden you know it changes and you know and and you know it, it's just a, a, an incredible learning experience. What do you think if you're giving out tips? What do you think the most important things, A, of being an, a really good assistant in the NBA is? Uh, I think the most important thing is the willingness to bring new ideas, uh, you know, to your to your head coach. Right. And the ability to be okay with being told no. <laughs> um, like, I, 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 you know, Fizz and I had this conversation, you know, before I started working for him. And I told him, I said, hey, man, listen, like, I'm going to take 99 no's because on the hundredth one, you might say yes. And it might be what's best for the group. And that's kind of how, you know, I, I approached my job with him was just, you know, because you, you make the suggestions that you need to make, but you make those suggestions at the appropriate time and understand that you're going to put in a lot of work to build the, you know, build the case. You know what I mean? Like you make film edits, you do reports, you do data analysis, you, you do all those things. Uh, and take it to the head coach, and he's going to say no sometimes, and you got to be okay with that. And then you got to go find the next project or you know the next idea, um, you know, to go to to take to him. Uh, the other thing that I think is important for assistant coaches is like your job overall is to make the head coach's job easier, mm -hmm. and you know by making players better, you make the head coach's job easier by putting out small fires. And not, you know, putting more on the head coach's plate, you make his job easier. So, like, those are the two things that I would say, uh, you know, w would help you be a really, really good assistant coach. I think that's excellent. Yeah, I remember when Chuck and I went to uh, the Magic uh and uh, we had Penny Hardaway there, no shack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and so we were there, and uh, one one of our coaches was left over from previous staff. And I remember uh, Eric Musselman, ironically, was uh, like almost like a grad assistant on our staff. He'd come out of the CBA, and uh, his team got folded. And so, you know, I, we brought him up, and uh, and so we're on, the, and we're going over practice, and Chuck had. Oh, we've been coaching about 500 years by that time, right. and, you know, and, you know, I already went through a couple of championships, a dream team and all that. And he's like maybe 68 years old, I think at the time. And, uh, we're, you know, and he would, 
just do the practice plan at home, which mm-hmm. I, which I have no problem because we had worked together for so many years, and whatever he wanted to do was fine with me, you know. Right. And and, and so uh, the holdover assistant, uh, as as uh, Chuck went in, the guy says, uh, like, you know, what, what what's the uh, what's the practice plan? I, I have to have it. I got to r- type it up. And Chuck says, no, you don't have to type it up. He said, well, I typed it up for Brian Hill every day. And Chuck says, that's great. I'm happy for you. And so right. he said, well, can you tell me what we're going to do? And so Chuck sat down and he actually took the time and ch- told him everything we were going to do that day. JB, and your dad will love this. And he said, the guy, the coach said, okay, I can live with that. <laughs> yeah. oh. And Chuck looked and said, I'm effing glad you can live with that today. You right. Know? <laughs> you know? You know, but I think, you know, uh, but, you know, he, uh, the head coaches in this league, you know, because of our workplace, it's not like college where you're in at 830 and you're there till six o'clock. You know, the, the work, mm-hmm. the workload is so different that you maybe, you know, you're working at night, maybe watching a game, either video or you're watching a game of it, you're one of your future opponents at home. And then you might just have some ideas of things you want to do or your practice plan or something you want to cover. And you do that uh, at home. You don't need everyone that, you know, in college, they have too many meetings, right? You know, uh-huh. I, you know I, I don't, I, I, you know, and that was one of the great things about Chuck. He didn't, he didn't like meetings, you know, he didn't like them. He just said, you know, let, let's go, you know, but uh, maybe it's a different thing. Maybe how many coaches are you managing now? Oh boy. Uh, we have, you know, on our, on our group text messages with all the guys, it's <laughs> 13, it's 13, um, you know, members of the coaching staff. So that includes like coaches, player development coaches, uh, the video guys, the assistant development guys. Um, So there's 13 uh, 13. total. Yeah. Uh, So, and and I can remember watching your dad and Casey Jones coaching in Washington, right? There's two of them, right? Right. You know, and, and, but you know, when we, you know, I remember when we were even with, you know, when it was, when I came in the league, it was UB Brown, Fratello and myself. And then when mm-hmm. we went to Detroit, it was Chuck, me, and Brenda Malone, and 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 then when we finally got a huge staff, when we we went to New Jersey Nets and with mm-hmm. Willis Reed was, and it was Chuck, myself, Paul Silas, and Rick Carlisle as our young oh, wow. as our young guy that we were breaking into business. How about that? Yeah, not wow. ba- not awesome. bad, right? I mean, great yeah. great people. So, but we didn't have all those guys. You know, if you're lucky, you had an advanced scout. You mm-hmm. had one video guy, maybe. You know. And it's just changed so drastically and beautifully in many ways and stuff. But it, it's got to be a little difficult to manage all those people, I would think, to a degree. Well, yeah, and, and it's it's making sure that when you have that many people, it's making sure that everybody's on the same page. Good call. Um, because, you know what I mean? Like there's, you know, the more people you add, the more opinions there are, uh, the harder it is to always reach, you know, the entire group. Uh, but it's, that's the most thing that sometimes, and things sometimes get lost in translation. You know, if I tell, you know, one of the bench assistants to tell one of the development guys, you know, to tell one of the video guys, you know what I mean? Like as that message goes from <laughs> one to the other, it, it, it can change. Uh, so I think that's why, you know, it's communication and having the group in front of you is extremely important. You know, I'm not a big meetings guy, um, to yeah. be honest with you, like, we meet every game day for sure. Sure. Um, but a lot of the time, like I'll put the practice to schedule together. Mm-hmm. You know, once we get deeper into the season, like training camp, we'll meet and those types of things. Sure. But like once we get a little into the season and we know the drills and all that stuff, like, you know, I'll put the practice plan together, um, get it you know, in an email 
and then it just gets out, you know, on on uh, cardstock to the rest of the staff, you know. And if people have questions, you know, I mean, like my office is always open. What I tell the guys is like, if you see something, you know, send me a text message the night before. Um, you know, if we're watching, we just played a game, and we have a practice the next day. Like, send me a clip of what you're seeing in the game. And then, you know, tell me your thoughts and then I can say, hey, OK, we need to work on this and I can throw it in sure. to the practice schedule. So that's great. Um, but I'm that's not. Great. Yeah, I'm not. a the, the whole just meet, 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 meet just to meet thing is not really, uh, you know, not really my style. Yeah. Uh, so. In February, uh, they decide mutually uh, a coaching change is going to be made and then you're made to take over. Uh, talk about and then. And I'm going to say this: in ten games, you turned that team to the point of I think five and five. You really did an incredible job, and they played well in beating good teams. How were you able to do that? Uh, you know, I mean, because that's a really hard thing to do, uh, really hard with no training camp, no practices and stuff. How, how, how do you do that? And then at that point, then you know, Kobe, you know, you know, gave you the job full time, you know, which is sensational. Uh, you know what? It, it was, again, the experience of the past two times figuring out, uh, you know, what's important. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was, you know, I had a conversation with our staff is we're going to focus on, you know, these two things for the rest of the year. And that's going to be our foundation. And that's how we're going to build this team. And there are two things that every single night we can truly control. And that is, are we the most competitive team on the floor? So are we winning the 50-50 battle? Are we scrapping? Are we trying to get through screens? Are we going to rebound the ball? Are we blocking out? Are we taking charges? You know, all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we running to our spots? And then the second thing was, are we the most unselfish team on the floor? Uh, and every single night, you can control those two things. So now the extra pass, the extra rotation, um, you know, a guy's got it going. I'm going to screen to get him open. You know, the guys that aren't in the game, you know, we're cheering, we're picking each other up. Like, so we just started there. And, you know, once the guys bought into that, you could just see a difference in the way we were playing. Like our competitive spirit was different. Um, You know, the way we moved the ball was different. You know, the way they celebrated each other was different. Uh, And it ended up in some, you know, some pretty big time victories for us from where we were, you know, like. Denver, Philadelphia, Miami, uh, you know, we had some pretty good wins uh, in that stretch. Um, And that's kind of why it's frustrating, too. Obviously, I understand the health and safety issues, but you understand, you know, like we had a momentum, positive momentum going uh, in those last, you know, 10, 11 games. Talk about that. I mean, if you could have, and this is not, we're not knocking uh, the league, so, you know, but if you could have, what would you have liked to have done to continue that momentum, uh, assuming that they they couldn't bring you to the bubble of twenty two teams only? Okay, because there was talk at one point of only bringing sixteen, uh, right? You know, and so you know to bring the twenty two and only one team extra from the East in Washington, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what would you have preferred to do to help your group of young guys? <laughs> the short answer is anything. You know I mean? like, we got to, we got to a point of desperation where we just wanted to get our guys together. Right. Uh, you know, if we had our preference, sure. obviously, you know, some, a, a training camp type of thing 
where, you know, we got to put in some stuff. We got to teach what our system was going to look like. We got to develop, you know, our younger guys uh, and, and develop our, our team chemistry. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things that is being overlooked about, you know, there's, you know, I was reading an article about uh, individual development and how it's not directly correlated to playing games. But where we're missing is like the individual development is an important, isn't as important as developing winning habits mm-hmm. and, you know, developing a winning team. And the way you do that, develop a winning team is by playing games. You can't do it with just individuals. So, the playing of the games is what was going to be critical and crucial for us. Uh, and, and, and it's, you know, it's a competitive disadvantage to be frank that we not, that we don't get because we're not getting to play, uh, play those games that those teams down there are. And you look at, you know, the Phoenixes of the world, you look at, you know, what San Antonio's done with its young group. Like, you know, there's a lot of positive things that have come from, uh, the experience that they're getting in that bubble that we, uh, you know, that, that we're just not getting. And you could have tried a lot of things that you might, you know, want that all of a sudden you might now save to do in training camp. And then all of a sudden you say, gosh, they didn't work as well as I thought over these eight, nine months that we were off. I thought they would be better. But at least it's almost like I used to like going to summer league and bringing a few veterans just to try some idea, or even use the summer league team to try out some ideas. And like, a, you know, the great Jack Ramsey used to call it a, his laboratory, right? So it, right. this would have been a great lab for you guys. Right, exactly. And, you know, and again, like, you know, the things that the coaches get to do with the players down there and build their relationships, you know, talking to some of the coaches and, you know, they say, hey, you know, we've got nothing else to do. So now I just go spend time with my guys. You know, they Mm -hmm. don't have any commitments. They don't have anywhere to go. So now we just watch film together or we just hang out and have conversations like, you know, those are things that, you know, we're missing out on. Um, You know, there are things and, and I, you know, say all of this that, we won't let be excuses, you know what I mean, for us moving forward. Um, but, I mean, it's definitely, you know, worth the discussion uh, of, of what the reality of it is. You know, when I was uh, coaching in the league, when we, if we ever got knocked out, you know, at some point, first or second round, I might not watch another playoff game, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you get so ticked off, you know. But, you know, but uh, that has certainly come and gone. So now, after the long layoff, I'm finding myself watching games every night, as I'm sure you are, to see, you know, um, what. let's talk about some of the teams in the East and some of your feelings about them. What impresses you and who do you like in the playoffs, et cetera? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the the heavy hitters, obviously, the, you know, the Bucks with their length and ability to shoot the ball. I mean, I you know, I, I watch Toronto uh, a lot and, you know, I'm impressed with that team. You know, obviously they are the defending champs and, you know, people thought because Kawhi left, that you know, uh, obviously that's a huge loss. But, I mean, they're still a really, really good basketball team. They're a well-coached team. Uh, they're good individually, but defensively as a unit, they're really good. Uh, and then they got multiple guys that, you know, can go out and score the ball for them too. So, uh, you know, I, I like, you know, the way they play. I like their style. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think they're, they're underappreciated uh, around, uh, you know, lead talking circles. They got the second seed, right? I think. In, yeah. yeah. And in Milwaukee. Uh, how about uh, Boston? You know, going in, you know, I thought Boston, I think they're still, they still have a shot, right? 
I mean, because he's got a good group, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. Like, the reason they give themselves a chance is they have shot makers. Yeah. Um, you know, they got guys that can flat out just go and get it. And whenever you have guys like that, um, you know, you give yourself a chance because they can go get buckets. They're good sound defensively. They're versatile. They can do a bunch of different things. Um, but, you know, when you got, you know, you got individuals who can go out and get a bucket and get, you know, go get hot. Uh, you give yourself a chance and they have multiple uh, ones of them. And again, they're another team that is extremely well coached. You know, they'll diversify, uh, you know, what their defense throws at you. You know what I mean? Like they got lockdown defenders who can go pick out, you know, the other team's best player uh, and make his night extremely difficult. So, uh, you know, they've got a really good balance and, and they're a tough matchup. We play, they play those, you know, those small wings at the four spot. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's a difficult matchup for most fours. And they, they, he has, he's really developed. And I, and I say this with affection, Brad's really, as a college coach has really, you know, come in and has felt very comfortable, you know, picking up things and adapting everything to his own style. And he's really done a great job of it. I think. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think he does a great job with their teams. Um, you know, he and I have had some conversations and, you know, he is extremely intelligent mm -hmm. uh, and you can tell like when you're having a conversation with him, he's really, really listening. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and and people people feel that, you know, his players feel that you can feel it when you're talking to him. Uh, and you know what I mean? Like if if he's asking these questions of all these people and with the thirst of knowledge that he has and he's really listening, um, you know, I think he's he's. He's helped himself uh, immensely, but I, I think he's a really, really good coach, um, you know, overall. And I know, uh, you, you know, you really believe the same about Eric Spolster, and I think he's done an amazing job with the Miami team this year. Talk about, and, and he's really also, I love it because he's not just doing what Riles did. You know, he's, he's, he's playing a whole different style. Pat was a pounded inside, you know, uh, type of guy when he was in the East, you know, in Miami. And in New York, and now this guy's shooting threes like 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 <laughs> crazy, and he's playing zone sometimes. How difficult is it to play that team? Uh, I mean, they're tough. What, you know, I respect them a ton uh, because you know they had a plan in place. You know, once the big three kind of left, and they knew what type of players they wanted, they knew what type of team they were trying to build. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously it, it took them some time, but if you look at it, you know they're. Six six, they're long, they're athletic, they're rangy, they can make threes. Uh, you know, they got the guys that can break you down off the bounce, but they got guys who can switch defensively with their length. Um, you know, they, they really make it difficult on you uh, to run your stuff. You know, they can deny passing lanes. Um, and, you know, again, I, I'm biased because, you know, I've known Spo a really, really long time. Sure. And I, you know, I, I love him as a dude, but like he's a great coach. Um, who, you know, again, like you said, has had to diversify what he's done and change what he's done over time, depending on the personnel that he has. But, you know, the common thing is, like, you see him produce winning basketball. Um, you know, there's, there is that old school Pat Riley toughness in the guys that they get. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, they get some guys who are physically and mentally tough and they're not afraid to mix it up. But, you know, they've changed from, you know, 610 and you know 611 or 72 uh to you know 66 you know with, with long arms or whatever it may be but um you know and, and spo he keeps you off balance 
uh, you know, like you said, he'll throw that zone out there. He'll throw that heavy nail out there at you. Uh, and, you know, again, he gets guys to buy in to do it because you can all all of us have these great ideas. Right. As coaches. But if the guys don't buy in, uh, you know, then it doesn't matter. And, and Spoh's got those guys buy in, um, you know, because of his personality and his skill set. You know, in that six seed, a team that everyone thought was going to be at the top with the Sixers, Brett Brown has hit a bunch of injuries and stuff with uh, Ben Simmons going out for the year now. And, and Joel Embiid is always an ankle away or a back away from going down, it seems. You know, uh, their talent is still still really good and stuff. Uh, but they now have to play, the, I believe, the Celtics in the first round. Uh, it's going to be a tough tough for them it's a it's it's a tough it's a tough out for the celtics but it's a tough first round game but i think it's one that's a tougher one for the sixers to go into yeah i think it comes down to style you know what i mean like whose style wins mm-hmm. uh in, in that in that matchup um you know the sixers have a ton of size you know obviously you know without ben simmons at the point you know they're a little smaller there but you know, they still have Embiid, they have Horford, they have Harris, you know, they have big guys. So, yeah. you know, can their size and strength, uh, you know, out, out will Boston speed uh, and, you know, and quickness or vice versa. So I think that one's going to come down to the style of the fight. You know, who can dictate the game into their style, whether we're, you know, are we slowing it down and uh- we're in the half court or are we up and down and, uh, you know, flying around and shooting a bunch of threes. So I think it'll be uh, the style that makes that fight. I, I think in the old days we would have slowed it down. But I, you, right. know, you know, I think we would have, you know, just to try to pound it inside, you know, because you can't go with those other guys. Uh, and, and Brooklyn, I feel badly for them. They've had a, they've had a dif- difficult year in the Magic, of course, losing Jonathan Isaac. But, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Steve Clifford always does a good job. But, you know, tough tough game for him, tough series for him going against Milwaukee in the first round. Yeah. You know, I think, and I've said this before, Steve Clifford is one of the best coaches in the NBA. I agree. Um, He is, I mean, his teams very rarely beat themselves and they always force you to beat them. Um, They don't make many mistakes. You know what I mean? Like they're in the right spots They execute their stuff. Um, You know, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think he gets enough credit for being the coach that he is, um, you know, and his teams are always prepared. So, you know, obviously, you know, the draws are what the draws are at this point. Yep. But, it, you know, it, it won't be an easy out. Uh, you know, that's for sure. That's a great call. What What do you think about out west? You know, Ooh, man, it's 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 tough. I'm waiting to see, you know, what happens with the outcomes of these play in games and who ends up where versus who. Uh, and that, you know, who's the eight seed and all those things like, you know, it, it could be some, I mean, the West is good. You know what I mean? Like there can be some very interesting, uh, you know, matchups, you know, I, I don't know how many teams want to play, you know, the Portland trailblazers right now, I the agree. way yeah. those guys got it going, um, you know, Houston, Utah, I mean, you can go down the gambit there. There's just so many good teams, you know, the Lakers, the Clippers, like, you know, there's so many good teams in the West. That every single series is going to be a you know is going to be a brawl and, and OKC I don't know how yeah. how he's doing it I mean I'm not sure they just kind of hang around and they'll go down twenty two twenty four twenty six and come back and win you know yeah they're an amazing yeah. different group you know we used to always talk about that you know when we would watch college basketball mm-hmm. and especially in the tournament we would talk about like 
if you have good guard play, you always have a chance in college basketball. Great call. Well, I think if you see what they're doing in Oklahoma City, good uh, they have high-level guard play, uh, so they always give themselves a chance to win. That That is excellent point. Hey, let me ask you this. This is really important uh, to me, and I know it will be for our listeners. Talk about uh, what our NBA coaches are doing, the great association which we have, uh, what we're doing with social justice issues, you know, and all that. I mean, I think it's so important in the stance that as a group that we've taken, and I'm really proud of it as an alum. Um, no, no, thank you for that. And, like, I mean, it's it's been amazing, to be quite honest with you, uh, what the group has um, been doing and all the different things uh, that we've been engaged in. Um, you know, again, we, we formed the subcommittee of coaches, um, for, for racial justice. Uh, and like it, I mean, it's, it's just through the league, through all 30 coaches, it's just, you know, it's spread immensely where every coach in their market has partnered with, um, you know, a group or multiple grassroots groups to figure out how they can best impact, you know, their community's needs. Uh, with the understanding that, you know, L.A. is different than Cleveland, which is different than Miami, which is different than Toronto, which is different than San Antonio. Uh, but we all can do something positive in that area to help, um, you know, with what's going on and how we advance uh, the right cause and help people who need our help. And then, you know, prevent things from happening to those people who are already uh, oppressed to begin with. So. Sure. We have, I mean, I, I, I can't say enough about it. Like we get on some of these calls and I listen to these voices um, and you can clearly see how, you know, these coaches move, uh, you know, 15 men every single night to do something special. Because when you get off that phone call, like you're so motivated to go out and do more uh, that, you know, it's like it, it's it's encouraging to see that this is where we are uh, and that we have this amount of force behind what we're trying to do. Uh, you know, we've got a powerful group. We're working with the Obama uh, Foundation. Uh, we've joined forces with the Equal Justice Initiative, which is Brian Stevenson. And for people who don't know who he is, like we need to look, you know, look him up. He is a lawyer based out of Birmingham, Alabama, who started a museum. Um, that is dedicated to the history of the lynchings in yep. America through the 1950s. Yep, very um, powerful. And it just tells a story and it's the education of exactly why we are where we are today mm -hmm. and why there is the lack of trust between black communities and law enforcement. Yep. Um, and, you know, you go back and it's factual that, you know, in some of those communities where the lynchings took place, the police officers sometimes turned their backs on the lynch mob. And in some cases, they were a part of the lynch mob. Yeah. Uh, so as a community, you can imagine why there is a distrust. And, you know, I tell people this all the time. It wasn't that long ago. My dad was born in the segregation. My mom was born in the segregation. So it wasn't that long ago that these things were happening. So what happened to them, they passed their story down. You know, what happened to, you know, they passed their story down to us. Like, so it's, it, it's still fresh. And it's going to take a lot of work to overcome that, but it's going to come from two sides coming together and figuring out the reason why. But you have to acknowledge the history and the reason why we are where we are today. And until you acknowledge it, you're never going to be able to move on from it. So 
that's kind of the fight that we're fighting is the acknowledgement of the issue. And then now how do we do something to repair it? You know, the end of, um, I guess it was the end of May when you guys had the phone call with uh, Lloyd Pierce leading it. Am I right? And yes. I had two head coaches call me within an hour after it ended. One was in tears and the other one says most powerful stuff he's ever heard. And these are yeah, I mean, these are incredible men I'm talking about. And, right. And, no, I, and listen, I, I, I can't I, tell you how powerful and moving it was. And that, that to me, and I, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, Lloyd is, uh, you know, it, it's funny, you know, we, we all have a, you know, an opportunity to, this guy, you know, he's, you know, he's had a tough time coaching. He's developing all young kids and everything, but he is stepping to the top of the mountain right now and leading people uh, in an incredible league. And, and, uh, and, and you know what? That's fabulous. That is absolutely yeah. fabulous. He, he has been phenomenal. Um, you know, his passion, his drive, uh, his courage, you know, and, and, you know, on the younger spectrum of the coaches, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. very easily could, you know, take a back seat and let the older coaches, uh, you know, do their thing. But like he's shown true leadership and, you know, leadership overcomes, you know, age uh, and leadership, you know, doesn't get to choose the moment. Like leadership has to lead uh, no matter what circumstances, you know, we find ourselves in. And, and he's taken that on, um, you know, and, and pushed us all uh, to do more. Uh, it's it's terrific, and I'm 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 really excited about that and, and where it's going to go because I think it's um, it's one of the proudest things. I mean, we tried to do things your dad and I for years with the coaches associated with Lenny Wilkins and uh, and Jack Ramsey leading us and all. And I was a vice president for ten years of it, and uh, but we didn't ha we didn't have anything that to go to like this. Boy, this is a great opportunity, and that's why I, I think our guys are doing a beautiful job of it, and so that's great. JB, man, thank you so much. This has been great. This has been great. And I thank you for your time. And I can't wait to get back and see you coaching. I'm not sure if it's going to be in November, December, January, February, <laughs> but I, I can't wait. And uh, congratulations to you and uh, what you've done, your staff. And, uh, and again, uh, my best year, folks. And uh, really, really can't wait, to, can't wait to see what you put out this year with your team. No, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of I love listening to, you know, the conversations about, you know, the old school, the game and, you know, and hearing your perspective on how the game has changed. And, you know, it, it's awesome. So I'm glad you do this and I appreciate you letting me be a part of it. Thanks, JB. I really appreciate you. His dad and I have been friends for years and uh, an incredible basketball man. Uh, but let me tell you something. JB is a phen phenom, I think, and a y young up and coming rising star as a head coach in our league. But more importantly, he's a, a very, very bright guy. He's a guy with incredible, incredible character. And just the way he was speaking about racial injustices and how our NBA Coaches Association is really trying to help and contribute in a small way so that we can keep the awareness on that. I think he was really powerful, and I can't thank him enough for doing that. Until next week, this is The Coach, Brendan Sarah.